You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to Fly on the Call, and welcome to 2021. In some ways, it's same shit, different year. But I'm stoked that the pod is still here, and equally glad that you're here too. One of the things I'm most excited about when it comes to the show is that I'm starting a new series this year where I speak to a different podcast host each month. And you're listening to the first one right now. My guest today is Jer from Emo Trash. Even if you haven't listened to the podcast itself, there's a good chance you've seen their tweets promoting bands, organizations, causes, and general positivity. All of these aspects are things we hit on in today's conversation, which was seriously one of my favorites to date. So without further ado, on to the show. What's your quick pitch for emo trash? Like how, when you reach out to potential guests, like how would you describe the show to someone? Oh gosh. Okay. I guess that's, that's, that's a good question that I really should have been prepared for. (laughs) Um, I kind of see emo trash as just kind of a brand that was created by a brand that was created by me and Robin to do very specific things. And I think that's the easiest way to explain it. Like emo trash isn't really something that exists to do one thing at this point. It kind of has different sides of it that does different things. So like if anybody listening to this newest, my Twitter presence knows I use a lot of that to like show to like hype up bands that I believe in and other accounts and like labels and podcasts and nonprofits and stuff. And I try to like, I want emo trash to be something that brings together the community but more on our podcast, what I like to do is the point of our podcast really is to give a space for people to talk about the music they love in a pure way that's completely focused on them. So it's a very difficult thing to fully explain, but <laughs> I guess the short the short pitch would be emo trash is something Robin and I came up with because we wanted to interact with this community and it's been a way for us to connect with it and to help build it and help be, and to feel part of it. And that's kind of what it is. It's just a bunch of different ways we try to help build and connect with the community. Yeah, I, I really, that makes so much sense the way you're saying that. And I feel like that's, it's like exactly what I'm trying to do with this show. Just you're talking to like, you know, I'm talking to artists specifically interviewing and you're like talking, you know, lots of times to artists or or just like talking about albums and, you know, just like really diving in with things that people are passionate about, which is like, that's kind of like my only criteria for this show is that I talk to people who are doing something that I'm passionate about. So I really love that. That is something that like shines through for you guys as well. (laughs) Yeah. The, the episode structure, our main episodes are, if you don't know, basically we have a guest on and just give them the space to go off about a record they love. And that the idea behind that is kind of twofold. One of it, it, a big part of it is we want, we, we find that you can learn a lot more about people through the things they love and their connections to them than necessarily through uh, direct interviewing. Uh, I think that direct interviewing is something that has to be a very specific skill and it's very planned. And that's not something that we necessarily wanted to do. So we wanted to make use of a more flexible space and kind of our way of doing that was what if we just kind of gave people the space to talk about what they love and let people learn about them through that? 
And I've always found that learning about people through the things they love and the connections they have is a really interesting thing. And it, uh, through our episodes, I find you can learn a lot about the artists we have on through the music they love. And I find that fascinating. And the other part of the podcast is kind of, I find in the scene, a lot of times identities can be very politicized. And even when you don't necessarily know it, you can often have to represent an identity or speak for your perspective. And I wanted to create a space where there was no pressure to do that. And people in the scene who may have felt constant pressure to be the person in the room speaking up for something or their identity or certain people, I think it's important to give people space to just be like, no, 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 this is a scene and we're just here to enjoy music. So let's just enjoy music for an hour. Yeah, I think it's cool that you kind of like cut out that like, I feel like when you're doing, you know, kind of like a straight interview, it's like you are aiming to get that, you know, moment or two, those couple answers of the person being like genuinely who they are, not like going through the same answers, not going through the same like press lines that they have. So I think it's kind of cool that you like cut that out of the equation. And I think, you know, talking about something that you're passionate about that outside of yourself is a really good way to do that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of what I'm going for. It's one of those things where I think like good interviewers, like I'm talking to you, like good interviewers, like will get at those things. And it's all about, as you're saying, trying to hit those marks. And I think when we looked at it, we we're like, we're not journalists. We're not <laughs> going to be able to pull that off. We're not fly on the call. So how do we kind of just do this in our own way? And this was our kind of way of adapting into a format that we felt better at. Because the first like four maybe more, maybe seven. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Something episodes of Emo Trash before we got into our, um, kind of started our current format, which I think was episode six, was Sunday morning talking about Microwave. Before that, it was just Robin and I chatting about two records we like to play for every episode. So when we started changing it, we're like, okay, if we want to have guests on, how do we stay away from that traditional interview format? How do we bring our format kind of into that? And this was kind of how we, I don't know, kind of carved out a new space. And that's what, I, that's what I love about this scene so much. I love seeing so many people carve out such specific spaces for the things they want to do and they're good at doing. For sure, yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned like your tr- Twitter presence earlier. And I think, I'm pretty sure the way I found Emo Trash was through like the first lunch table meme that you did. Um, no. <laughs> which I was like, oh my God, these are all the bands that I love. How can I choose? <laughs> but I mean, that was something that like, you know, seeing that kind of like immediately formed a connection with me, like with between us, I feel like. How do you kind of like go about, you know, finding these creative ways to, like you said, like promote other bands and organizations? Oh gosh, I really love that question. Um, Because that allows, what you're allowing me to do right now is dive into my own thought process, which is not something I share a lot because it's complicated and chaotic. But um, one of the skills I've kind of tried to master through emo trash is vocalizing my feelings on something and being able to do it quickly and efficiently. And I think that's important for these things. Like the lunch table meme is... The lunch table meme didn't come out of nowhere. What it came out of is I got some place where I was like, oh, maybe that would be cool. Okay, I'm going to do it. Let's try it. Let's figure this out. And kind of most of Emo Trash's like Twitter presence comes out of that. It comes out of a either a I saw something and I was like, okay, that's a meme format. How do I bring that to do something I want to do? Promote a band I want to 
I want to promote or like promote our episode, etc. Or it's simply a process of, again, learning to effectively and efficiently vocalize my feelings. When I listen to a song, how quickly, how easily can I be like, this is a good way to vocalize how I feel about this. Let me tweet it. Yup, it's short enough to fit in a, a tweet. Cool. It's out. And like, that's a skill I've kind of gotten quite good at being able to kind of when I like something and when I want to support something, try to put together as quickly as possible, the best way to at least do something to support it. I'm curious, has that, have you found that to be like helpful in other areas of your life as well? Uh, yeah. Well, I think it is just a good skill at kind of being able to discuss things I like and discuss things I uh enjoy and that's so i haven't talked about this on this podcast but i probably should bring it up because it might come up if we go more into my personal life i'm an uh, autism advocate i'm an autistic person and i advocate for autistic people and a lot of that is through mentoring and social skills groups i run for individuals on the spectrum and one thing i work with my kids a lot in is being able to talk about things you like being able to vocalize why you like things and being able to say like being able to figure it out to yourself, like, okay, if I enjoy this, why do I enjoy it? So if I don't have this in the future, how do I recreate the parts of this that maybe I am enjoying? How do I understand the parts of what I'm enjoying so I can find other things that share those parts? And it's kind of just this entire process of like self-understanding. And I realized that when I started that, that's something I've been doing for a while, and that kind of actually fed into this process with emo trash, because that being able to talk about the things I like and how I liked them, and having worked up with that, uh, worked on that with so many like people on the spectrum, really allowed me to kind of I think gave me a leg up with, uh, like gushing over bands and being like, oh my god, I love this and I love this, and in true uh Jer fashion, I leaned into my strengths with Twitter, and I think. When I leaned into my strengths, it allowed me to refine that skill even further. And now I think to your point, it kind of does. It came back around and it's helping my advocacy work again, because now I'm much better at doing that snapshot like, oh, you just showed me this thing you liked. Here's how I feel about it. And that's so important because, again, if I'm talking to kids about what they like, I'm asking them to show me things they like and talk about them. So I've gotten better at particularly, I would say. I talk about music with a lot of the clients I work with and they send me songs that I've never heard. And I've definitely gotten better at discussing those songs with them because of emo trash. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like that kind of like intentionality and kind of like being keyed in with like, not just how something makes you feel, but like why it makes you feel that way. I feel like that's something that's like so important just for anyone really. Like, kind of being able to take that step back and almost like analyze it in a different way. Absolutely. I I think that's like a part of self-reflection that we often forget. We tend to think of self-reflection as just like a negative process, such a like, I have to hold myself accountable and I have to like, look at it's like what I've done wrong and look at like how I can make things better. But a huge part of self-reflection is just being like, where have I been happy? How have I been happy? And how do I use that information to maximize it? And I think that's part of this going like, why do I enjoy these things? So again, like if something ever happens to these things, I can recreate that enjoyment somewhere else. For sure. 
Yeah. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about kind of like your experiences in the scene as um, like someone on the spectrum? Like, do you feel, you know, that affects either the way you see the scene or the way like the scene perceives you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think a lot of my experiences as an autistic person in the scene kind of come twofold. Uh, one is my experience is kind of like at live shows and the other I would say is like in the community as like emo trash, particularly at live shows. It's any, literally anybody who's listening to this, who's seen me at a show already knows where I'm going with this, especially people who know me well and have been going to, uh, with me to shows for a while, which I guess would be like three people. So hi, Robin, <laughs> if you're listening to this, um, but like when I used to go to shows, I used to be extremely timid and I loved shows, but like I was very awkward. I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't really know how to talk to people. I very, very rarely made friends at shows. I really just went. I stood there. I uh, like list. I was there for the set and then I left. And what I would really love are the times when like. I wasn't really there for mosh pits, but you know when, like, you're at, like, a punk show and the crowd starts, like, moving so, like, much that you're basically just, like, moving around in, like, waves? When you're in, like, the front, uh, I remember, like, one of the first times I ever felt it was I was in the front of Newfound Glory's Sticks and Stones 10-year anniversary tour. But, like, when that feeling of truly just being in it with everybody was, like, a magical feeling to me. And it's something I didn't understand. And as I understood my autism, I started to understand more. It was that feeling of, like, not having to worry about anything. In those moments, I felt truly euphoric. I felt truly like I didn't have those standards on me. That I just was where I belonged and everybody around me, I understood and understood me. And it was a really important realization and it's something that led to me kind of coming out of my uh, shell at shows and, and kind of just starting to, to be blunt, starting to like go hard whenever the fuck I felt like it because it was fun. Like, again, this is hard to explain, but people who have seen me at shows, including bands who have like come through, know like I go very, very hard at shows. The, I guess the best way to explain this is, um, you know, a will away, you're Connecticut. So they had a release show for the Soup EP, and it was this great show. They had it, like, in this venue, like, in their studio. Super cool. The video went up, and uh, somebody's just going ham in the front row, and somebody tweets, Oh, my God, is this Jer from Emo Trash? And it was. <laughs> it was absolutely me just going ham in the front row. Like, it, it's expected at this point. And that was a long process for me. That was oddly really tied to my understanding of having autism, like understanding that like I needed to be able to enjoy these things, how I wanted to enjoy them without needing every single person around me to also be doing that. Like I, like I can dance by myself and that's an enjoyable show. And I, this comes across as like silly and stupid, but it's really hard to under to overstate how important this was in my journey in, in loving music. I never loved going to shows more than I did once I figured that out. Once I truly put my enjoyment at shows as something that I should focus on and maximize, because those are moments for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think the first time I kind of had like that feeling at a show was when I saw, I think it was Taste of Chaos 2009, maybe. Uh, during Four Year Strong set, I went in totally. I, I had no idea who Four Year Strong was, 
and the crowd was fucking into it. The and like it was the first time that I was kind of like I think I was alone at that show, which was probably the first time that happened. And it was the first time that I was like really in the crowd and like you said getting like swept up in the crowd. And I think that just kind of like the energy of that, both the band and the audience, that's something that really made like such an impression on me. And I'm very similar to you, it sounds like I'm very much the person, whether I'm very much in the crowd or kind of like back further, which I'm typically a little bit back further, but I'm like the person who is, if it's a band that I know and love, I'm singing along every single word at the top of my fucking lungs and probably annoying the shit out of people. <laughs> Hell yeah. Again, like I, to what you're saying i think that feeling of euphoria is very special and i think a lot of people in this i think it's a fascinating thing to dive into um because one of the things i found is that it's a very common thing and one of the things i have differently as an autistic person is i just find it so much more difficult to find that feeling like again i would never feel it outside of a complete crowd until i learned that like certain parts of it were uh, I couldn't feel it just by singing. I truly had to not care like the, what the people around me were thinking. I truly had to let go of like this idea that I was like I was being annoying by like enjoying a band too much, or that I was should be embarrassed, or that the band would be like, "What the fuck's this kid doing?" I would never have that feeling, that feeling of euphoria, and I never had, and I don't think I ever will. To a band, I don't know every single word of to the song they're playing it i truly have to be lost in the song and i never get that feeling unless it's that stark like if i don't know a band i can enjoy it but i never even get close to that feeling and i think that's like interesting extra barriers that i've come to understand but to that effect i think and i'll say this and then we can move on but like recently when the scene was dealing with their um with our kind of reckoning with people of color in the scene and black people in the scene and their comfortability and emo night held uh a few panels that were really good i believe it was a member of issues who said um i very much don't want to uh, misquote them so i'm gonna very much uh like summarize but i believe that they said something along the lines of I I just I just heard you talking about like feeling euphoric in at shows and I just realized I've never felt that way and I think it's because I've never felt safe in these completely white rooms and I think that's like understanding the barriers to people truly getting to feel euphoric in this scene and happy with themselves and how those layers are very much connected to identity and oppression and ableism and racism and stuff I think is very very fascinating yeah, for sure. Since I started this podcast, kind of like being an inclusive space and being a space that would boost those kind of voices, like, you know, any type of marginalized voices, something that has been very important to me and something that like was in the original notes that I made when I was like, this is what I want the show to be. And I feel like that's something that also kind of like shines through with emo trash as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and that kind of like the intentionality behind that? Yeah, and I think this will this allow me to wrap up two points quite nicely. I think the other way that my uh, autism has really affected my interactions with like the scene is kind of through emo trash and me interacting with the community. And in that way, like 
I didn't understand how to interact with the community on a basic level because I don't understand how to interact with communities on a basic level, or at least I haven't through much of my life. And trying to become part of a scene that, again, I've heard this from a million people and I'll hear it from a million more. When you first see it, it seems very tight knit and very hard to get into. It can be very daunting. And I think one of the things I had to do that really made it work for me was truly embrace my own identity. And part of that meant, I think Emo Trash holds a kind of special space in the fact that I'll gush over a band and then just chat with them calmly for the next for 20 minutes after. <laughs> and that's something I take pride in. It's something that like my overly emotional love for bands is part of emo trash. And to that effect, my advocacy and activism, I think, is part of emo trash. And it's part of how I came to understand my place in the scene. I think one of the most important things of getting to know the scene that came from anything that's happened since Emo Trash has started is me getting to know Ellie Hart and Lead DIY and getting to understand what Ellie does and like, or at the time really when Lead DIY was like in full swing, seeing someone who had this past advocacy experience bring it to this scene because like, fuck it, this scene needs it. Why wouldn't I bring it to this seat? That was kind of eye-opening to me as this idea of like, oh, when this, when I get to be part of this scene, I get to be part of the scene. I get to bring all of me. And for me, that was a lot of activism and advocacy. And it's only become much more so over the last two years as I've gotten more into things. And I, I like that emo trash has kind of grown with me as a platform for these things. Whereas, like, at first it was a lot more about, like, trying to figure out how I felt about things and chiming in on, like, DIY drama. Like, okay, guys, how are we how do we figure these things out? And, like, now it's a lot more like I feel that I have a platform and I'm going to lift up these bigger organizations with it because hopefully I can support them in bigger ways. And I think those are things to focus on because my ideas of the importance of things to focus on have changed. But at its core... I will always have that activist side. So I think emo trash will always have an activist. Yeah. I think that's really cool how, you know, it's kind of like an ever evolving thing and kind of, you know, as you grow and as you need room to grow, like kind of both of those things is allow it's allowing you to, you know, get, get what you need out of it essentially. Um, and also give you know to, to lots of people. Um, but I'm curious, like, as far as you mentioned, kind of like carving out your space in the scene. And I know like one of the things that stands out to me about, you know, trash as well is kind of like the discord server. Like I was in it for a little while, but the, you know, chat rooms are not necessarily like they're hard for me to keep up with, but it seemed like from what I could tell, it was like super active and super like supportive more than anything. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like that community within the emo trash fan base? Absolutely. So like, Honestly, that's kind of the things I'm most proudest of and amazed by. The fact that I truly felt we have truly influenced at least one section of this community in, in profound and important ways that I love seeing come to life. And I think the Emo Trash server is not necessarily the origin of that, but it might be the encapsulation. Because I would, these days, the Emo Trash server isn't really that active. Like, people still talk in it every now and then. But, like, we haven't really advertised it heavily or done a ton in it in like two months. And that's because as like you say, it 
things are adapting with us. And right now we have other things to deal with and we're focusing on other things. But like the fact that it hasn't gone away every pretty much every day, at least somebody's in there chatting with somebody else about something and like people keep up with it and people use it as a way to stay connected to people is so incredible to me that I like, I was able to provide that like the emo trash server might never become giant, but uh, young Han, great artist in the scene, just released the new rec, uh, their new record. This might be healing. Uh, it's Nyla and Nyla is a good friend of mine and emo trashes and Nyla uh, became very close with somebody named Dakota in our emo trash server. I am 99% sure this is all correct information. <laughs> and they were on a lot of episodes of um, Emo Trash Court together, and they talked, and they realized they looked pretty closely. And then they got together, and they started chilling out a few times. And now one of the sec- one of the songs on Youngheim's new record is referring to them getting together and recording songs. And it's my favorite song off the record. And... Knowing the weird little influence Emo Trash had in bringing that to life is so wild to me. <laughs> Just like being able to trace that. And like, I helped bring together these people who had formed such a beautiful connection. It ended up on a record and produced a song I absolutely love. And I think that's kind of the Emo Trash community to a T. It's, it might not be ever present, but it's ever supportive. And it really, whoever's in it at the time, really is there to support everybody else and like one of my uh favorite things to come out of it is like i believe i believe nyla and jariah met in live on the trash cord and they are my favorite like whatever the dynamic in diy they're the most wonderfully supportive of each other i've ever seen and i i it, i melt every time i see it and like it's difficult to balance that because I have to be like that. That's not all me. These are people who would have found their way and are good, are supportive people who would have done this stuff. But like knowing I had a hand in building that part of the scene that produced these people who are so beautifully supportive in ways I really want this scene to be is incredible to me. And I think that's the emo trash community. (laughs) Yeah. It's so awesome seeing like that you have those like tangible aspects of it tangible things that came from it like obviously like you know emo trash is a platform within itself but you know no matter the size of any platform i feel like the tightness of it if that's not a word but you know i'll make it up (laughs) i feel like like that's you know just as important as the size of something like if you make a difference in 10 people's lives that's in some ways it's even better than making a slight difference in a hundred people's lives. You forget the ramifications. You forget how like one big effect can like spread out so much. It's, it's, it's easy to forget that like, sometimes you just got to focus and be like, Hey, what can we do? What big things can we get done? And the rest will kind of come. If you do it, like Jiraiya now has a platform, a very big platform, and they're so and he's so incredibly supportive with it. And I love to see and I love that I helped give that and helped create that, and that he now gets to go way beyond anything I could help ever help him get to. That that's cool to me. I think I found Jiraiya through Emo Trash, or he found me through Emo Trash, one of those two. Uh, he's just so he's just like the coolest. I'm not gonna lie. For sure. Yeah, he makes like 
just the kind of music that I would want. <laughs> right? It's it's one of those kinds of music where it's not like, this is never what I've been like, oh, I want this. But like, if you had asked me to like mathematically calculate shit, I probably would have gone here eventually. <laughs> At some point, I would have come up with an addition that would be like, oh, that equals Dariah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I mean, I guess kind of going off that idea of like, emo trash being having like these tangible things um i think one of the things that's kind of like most excited me recently emo trash wise is the from angst to action uh episodes that you've been doing can you talk a little bit about how that kind of like came together and what what they are i would absolutely love to um from angst to action is our newest uh emo trash sideshow and it's kind of just about getting active in your local community and local politics uh it kind of stemmed from this fact that like emo trash was never meant to be a political podcast the podcast part of it's always kind of strayed fairly far away from that whereas our present our twitter presence and like our presence in other in like communities and vocal presence is very political um, and that's kind of by virtue, again, it was kind of designed to be a space where politicized identities could kind of not have to deal with that. But um, in the wake of everything that happened, I I got a lot more involved with like activism and local politics. And from angst to action kind of stemmed from, it was kind of the finalized version of a few ideas that started when Bernie Sanders was running for president. Um, cause when Bernie Sanders was running for president, I was amazed at how much energy there was in the scene. People were doing stuff, people were talking and the entire scene got very political. And I was like, oh, wow, there's so much a- activist energy here. But when he dropped out, you could see it fade very quickly. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, there's all this energy here. I think it just needs someplace to go. How do we start figuring out where we can place this energy? And kind of, that's what I was trying to figure out ways to do. And I ended up landing on from angst to action. Why don't I have guests from around the scene on to tell me how they turned it into action, how they turned that angst of like, Oh damn, this all sucks to like, what can I actually do in my community? How can I turn this into like direct action? And it's from angst to action is kind of just an exploratory process at the different ways to really get involved in the different ways to think about getting involved, or at least that's how I see it. Yeah. And I mean, I also really like that you do that. You have the highlights of the episodes. I think it is a really good way to kind of get people to listen to the full episode and, you know, get kind of the most important chunks out there as well. And I was curious, like, do you have any like advice for someone who is interested in getting involved in, you know, a a local cause? Ooh, uh, I do have two episodes of advice over on the Evo Trash feed, um, but I think the, I think if I had to really say anything, it would be follow the path of least resistance that still gets you to a point that you're getting something done. I think a lot of time we set our sights too high or feel like we need to really do the thing. Um, I, my favorite example of this is in the recent, uh, after the recent election, you had people from around the country flying to Georgia to help with the primary. And people in Georgia were like, I, I hate to break it to you, there's more to fixing America than Georgia right now. <laughs> like, 
you're you're more effective in your local communities fucking stay there and start doing work <laughs> and i think that's like a huge thing we often kind of get caught up with this oh crap i gotta do this now or i gotta focus on this thing and sometimes we just have to be like okay what can i do and what can i do effectively what's something i know about or something i have particularly access that i can help like the reason I'm such an effective advocate in the autistic community is because I'm autistic and I've had to advocate for myself and a bunch of other things that like I've worked with people on the spectrum throughout my life. Like in the end of the day, I'm just leaning into my strengths. <laughs> and when it came to like supporting the black lives matter movement, I leaned into my strengths more when it came to uh, going to rallies and stuff. I, vaguely became known in the area for carrying around a box of granola bars because i as a person on the spectrum works with people on the spectrum understand the like kind of hey everybody needs to have the things they need or they will likely not realize that they might be dehydrated mm-hmm. or they might be underfed so like it's very much i think sometimes you just have to think about like what's the thing that makes sense for me to do what's something that I can do either because I want to do it or it's because something I particularly can do and try to find that. And I think if you go into looking at local organizations with that mindset, you can often find something. Yeah. And I think it makes it like a lot less daunting too. Like, especially, you know, over the summer when, you know, there were all those like major protests, like, and with COVID going on, like, you know, that was kind of something that I was like, well, I feel like I should be involved in this, but I want to, you know, make sure that I feel safe as well. And so like, you know, f- like you said, kind of like finding ways, other ways to do it too. Like, you know, if it's fucking sharing resources, donating money, posting a meme, like that can be like making a meme and posting it. Like that can be something that makes a difference that opens like I feel like there are kind of like politically leaning memes that kind of like open your eyes to issues that in like really creative ways that you know where it kind of it's almost like a back door <laughs> yeah I, honestly I think activism comes in what activism comes in a lot of forms and I think we are all at our most effective when we're doing the things we're best at so I think a lot of part of figuring out how to be involved is figuring out the things you're best at uh, and how you can kind of bring those skills into this into this app, like arena. Going back to like uh, what we were talking about before, like one of my favorite things about this scene is the like really nice nonprofit scene that exists within it with like half access and lead DIY and no more dysphoria. These are people who like literally were like, hey, This is something that I am good at, like advocating for these communities and supporting them. I'm going to bring that to the scene. I'm going to bring that to music. Like if you have certain things you do well, if organizing is your forte and you let and you organize events for the scene, there's a lot of organizing that needs to be done. If you're very good at like really tedious work, there's a lot of tedious work. Everything from like basic paperwork that needs to be done by somebody to like super specific skill sets has some place where it's effective. And I think our journey should be finding where that place is, where we are most effective. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, going off that, I would say one of the things you're most effective at is being a uh, professional hype man. So I'm curious, what are some of the releases that you're looking forward to this year? Oh, gosh. 
Oh, wow. That's a, you see, you've asked a lot of great questions, but that's, that's the question that's been like, Oh, too big, too big. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm trying to think what's coming out this year. I know there's a ton of stuff. Okay. The Sonderbombs records come out in a few weeks. I'm really excited for that. I am officially advocate that the Sonderbombs are the most adorable band in DIY. So like super excited. Uh, but yeah, the Sonderbombs are great. Uh, they're coming out with cloth bound. So that's going to be great. Holy crap. Well, the thing is, like, I know 30. I'm just like, I can't think of any of them because I don't have them saved anywhere because yeah, they've just, yeah. like, vaguely announced stuff. But I know Dollar Signs, I believe, is dropping a record that's going to be cool. Ooh, Gold Flame's going to be releasing something, hopefully this year, that I'm really hyped for. Um, you know what? I'll say this. Solidarity Club Records, whatever they release, they've been releasing nonstop bangers. So whatever they're releasing, I'm probably hyped for. I know the Gold Flame's on that, too. But, um... Gosh, sorry. This is usually where I shine, and I'm just like, wow, talking music. I don't know. I'm really excited for uh, 2021 because I feel like a lot of people have had time to kind of figure out recording it during the circumstances, and I think we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff that arises. Like, I've started hearing my first songs being sent to me that are demos for songs about quarantine, and that's really cool. Um speaking of which uh there's a bunch of songs like a, like a bunch more political songs i'm hearing from diy bands that are like very outwardly political um blue vines disavow is a good example but also keep an eye out for a freaking uh bullpup bullpup's going to be releasing some stuff and they're really really sick and i just think it's cool to see bands like I think this is kind of sucky for everyone. The scene's kind of very difficult without touring. It's hard. Like you see a lot of bands saying they're basically going on hiatus because without touring, there wasn't a lot of point for it. Like the other day, the uh, mover shaker went on hiatus. Uh, Sweet peach went on hiatus not too long ago. Um, it, it's really tough. And I think, I think in 2020, we saw a lot of things falling apart. And in 2021, I think we're going to start seeing the resilience shine through. The people who buckled, who were able to buckle down and get through this and kind of do stuff with it. I think that's going to start showing up and I'm excited to see that. And I'm hoping that that mixed with us getting our shit together and pushing for the scene to get better for the people in it who might not be able to tour right now will hopefully make this scene stronger than ever, even at a weird point in time. For sure. Yeah, I, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what things are like when shows are able to safely come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fascinated to see. Like, one thing I've thought about a bunch that I'm kind of terrified at is the point that's certainly going to come up where throwing a safe show is just going to be extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. So oh, you're going to yeah. see probably a lot of bigger shows or shows by bigger bands and not uh, shows by smaller bands. I mean, even with like the drive ins, you've been kind of like seeing that. Oh, exactly. That's a perfect way. That's a perfect example. I think that's going to cause a lot of problems. I think small time, like really like DIY touring is probably going to be the last thing to come back. And that concerns the hell out of me because uh, separation between like bands at different levels is already kind of one of the biggest problems. But uh, I'm I'm excited for the future because like what else do I got to do? <laughs> There's cool bands. There's good people. And like the world can only get there. The world's bleak, but it all, it's kind of always bleak in certain ways. Like, Hey, I, I don't know. Part of me is literally like, why not believe that good stuff can come out of this? 
or why not be excited for the good for the inevitable good stuff that will for sure yeah and even if it's just some weird uh cabin fever music i'm down for that too yeah. <laughs> i'm excited to, i love bands doing weird and interesting stuff and i this quarantine has given a lot of bands uh space and opportunity to do this like one of my favorite things i've read the last year was a piece on our website ari our lead writer released a piece uh creating during uh more music be- more music before the world ends creating during quarantine and they interviewed like 20 artists or something about like creating during this and what it was like and I loved the different answers. There were people who said, like, I'm writing more than ever because I have this time. And there were people who, who said stuff like, hey, I had to realize that this time is not for music. This time is for dealing with the world. And I might not be ready to write music right now, even though I have all this extra time. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing people process that isn't necessarily always good for the scene, but I do think those kinds of personal processes are good for the people in it. Like coming to terms with where being creative fits in your life and making sure that even if you have all the time, it might not be healthy to sink all of your time into one thing. That's like healthy processes for people to go through. And I'm excited to see the people. I'm excited to see people in the scene come out of this with these newfound understandings and how that affects their art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that kind of just goes back to what we were saying before about kind of like finding what speaks to you, finding what your niche is. Yeah, but my favorite thing. So like, I run most of emo trash. I do a a big portion of it, but I would give Robin about at least fifty percent purely because of one thing that they have told me basically once every two months, every time I need to hear it, which is remember, Jer. This is just supposed to be fun. <laughs> this uh, like emo trash wouldn't have lasted nearly this long without me hearing that constantly. Like at the end of the day, this only works if it's fun. I'm only going to want to do it tomorrow if it's fun today. So I might as well. I have to build something that's consistent. If I if I want to build something, I get to enjoy. I have to build. I have to build something that I'll enjoy making. And I'll enjoy once I've built. I can't burn myself out. Uh, and that's been a really important part of Emo Trash, understanding that, like, if it's not fun, let, let's figure out why not. and Let's change that because that's not us. That's not going to work. And I think that's part of I think that's part of the creative process, a very important part, understanding that you're not going to keep doing it if you don't enjoy it. So you might as well find ways to enjoy it. <laughs> And I feel like this is a total cop-out of a question because we've had so many of these pieces throughout the episode, but you know that I finish every episode by asking for either a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, you know, whether it's life, philosophy, music, kind of whatever you've been feeling lately that you want to get off your mind or think might help people, uh, the floor is open to you, or I can edit this into an earlier section of the podcast. No, luckily... Luckily, this is actually the one of the things I prepared for. <laughs> so I have an answer. Um, I just kind of want to mention, I, I find one thing I've been thinking a, about a lot recently is feeling distant from people and feeling distant from like, uh, not just 
like things that you love. Like I think during quarantine, it's easy to not just feel like you're so far away from people, even when you can talk to them on the phone every day or talk to them over Twitter constantly, but it's easy to feel like the music you love is kind of further away and your connection to things is just weaker because a lot of the connections you've built aren't there. And I, I find myself constantly feeling kind of like disconnected from music, the music I love that I want to listen to. And it just feels a little too distant. And I think, I think the thing I just kind of want to say is like, if anybody else out there like gets that kind of feeling, I think that's what this community is about. I think that's kind of what the part that this community can play in people's lives right now. When I, hype up a band that I just listened to, even when I feel distant, when they get back to me responding to the tweet going, oh, hell yeah, you rock, Emo Trash, or they message me after going, hey, you like that? Here's a demo of our new song. Like, those things truly kind of push back against that feeling of distance that I think comes with the pandemic and quarantine. And at one point, um, at one point during quarantine, I was feeling like, at my lowest and like I was or not my lowest but I was having a really really tough time with things especially this uh fact that I just felt very distant from everyone in my life just because just because like I was going through like some stuff and then on top of the pandemic and the quarantine a lot of things stacked up and then I believe it was Jiraiya yeah Jiraiya get, dropped a whole thread on how much he fucking loved that we had dropped an episode with Eric from uh, Brian Cranston Cranbox about Jiraiya like two days earlier. Because <laughs> I was like, hey, we love Jiraiya. Let's do an episode on Jiraiya's music. I know we, some, we usually do bigger artists, but like, heck yeah. Like, this is someone we support. And like, he did this entire thread on how much like, how how much that meant to him and how it wasn't just like this thing about support. It was about him being so amazed that like, other people got his music the way he wanted them to get it. And at that moment, I went from feeling so distant from the scene to feeling closer to it than I'd felt in so long. Like hearing someone say, hey, you did this episode on me. I listened to the episode. I loved it. And I loved it because I knew I could tell you connected with the music in a way I never thought anybody else would. Is just such a specific, spectacular thing that I think happens in this these kinds of communities mm -hmm. and i don't want anybody to ever lose sight of the value of that and i i love how reciprocal that is too because him saying that you understanding him made him feel good and then him understanding you yeah. made you feel good it's it we we're all building up together i think i think uh we all benefit when we're all doing better because it's not always about like I supported them and now they're giants. So we're friends and I'm friends with a giant band. It's literally this community builds together. Like every tweet saying, hey, I like this artist builds this community, especially when it's from somebody who's not in the community yet. Mm -hmm. So like just those like super small time, like, hey, this person, this person was uh, on Twitter for two months just hyping up every band they liked. And then they kind of got burnt out on Twitter and went away for a while. <laughs> but that that two months helped build the scene. And if you inspired them to do that through a, through a wholesome tweet of your own, that's part of scene building. It, it's not all, I think, completely results-oriented. 
you have to keep in mind the process and that sometimes it's just getting people excited about building a scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's like a potluck in a way, I feel like. It's like a hype, a hype, yeah. a hype potluck. <laughs> we, we all have our little part to play in the hype. So if, if you want more of that, we do a ton of episodes on our stuff. We've been doing a bunch of more promotional stuff, hyping up like specific things we like. We did sign with Lonely Ghost Records recently, who are really cool, doing a bunch of great stuff in the community. And like besides that, I don't know. Feel free to listen to Emo Trash, but definitely get active in your local community. Hell yeah. Or why not both? <laughs> why not both indeed? <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and always being an inspiration. I feel like I had podcasts that before I started this podcast, I like specifically wanted to be, you know, to influence the podcast. And I feel like Emo Trash was kind of the first new discovery once I had Flying the Call started that has really kind of informed the way things go forward. So in six months, you're going to see me giving this exact interview, except for that story about Nyla is going to be replaced by this moment. It's going to be like, so one time I was on the fly on the call pod and he was like, you inspired me and my my heart melted. It was amazing. Did that feel as wholesome to you as it did to me? I meant it when I said that Emo Trash has been a huge inspiration in the development of Fly on the Call. And I hope if you got nothing else out of the conversation, it at least gets you to follow them on Twitter, at Podcasts Emo, and listen to the two episodes of From Angst to Action that are available now, with Lizzie from Emo Social Club and Brian from A Day Without Love, who are both friends of the pod. And if you want the prequel to this conversation, maybe give a listen to Jer, Robin, and I nerding out about The Greatest Generation by the Wonder Years on the episode I did of Emo Trash last year. Fly on the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. Now go out and get involved. On second thought, stay in and get involved. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.